is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Welcome to another episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Diamond. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out the previous episode. I actually released a bonus episode this past Thursday, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, with legendary actor Eric Roberts, who's been in uh, tons of movies and TV shows. He has over 600 credits on his IMDb page, and he's an upcoming guest at Pensacon. So be sure to check out that wonderful conversation. Enjoyed all the positive feedback that I've received from it. Uh, everybody seemed to really enjoy it. So thank you to everyone uh, who has listened and left some feedback. If you haven't yet, you can check out that episode on YouTube and on the Derek Diamond Experience podcast feed. For this week's episode, I'll be chatting with another Pensacon guest, and we're actually going to deviate a little bit from the norm on this show because for the most part, we talk with those who work in film and television. Well, we're going to be talking with an author for this week's podcast, legendary author Kevin J. Anderson, who's written many best-selling books. I believe he's written over 175 books total uh, throughout his career, but he's also worked in uh, numerous uh, fandoms as well, including Star Wars X-Files, Batman, Superman, which for those who are watching the YouTube version, you'll see this book I'm holding up that he wrote called The Last Days of Krypton. Uh, Really fun book. Uh, It really adds some detail and some logic into the Superman lore, which I very much enjoyed. So we talk about that book, we talk about his career, and of course his upcoming appearance at Pensacon, which is crazy enough, it is this weekend, February 24th through the 26th. Again, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right to our conversation with Kevin J. Anderson. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and this week it is my honor to welcome legendary author and upcoming Pensacon guest, Mr. Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great, and, and Nikola Tesla Anderson says hi too. He insisted on joining us for the for the Zoom for the podcast here. So, anyway, he's not coming to Pensacon. They can only see me there. Yeah, it it'd be. It'd be interesting to bring pets to Pensacon. Like I imagine it would be sensory for like overload. Five at least. Minutes. For like <laughs> yeah. five minutes, maybe. Then... I, I would love to bring my my chocolate lab, but she would just get sensory overload in like 30 seconds because she's such a people lover that oh. she just wouldn't know what to do. So that that's that's interesting. But uh, yeah, we were actually talking before we started recording. This will be your fifth or sixth Pensacon. So uh, what what keeps you coming back to this con specifically? Well, I mean, there's uh, there are so many 
comic and pop culture conventions around the country. And like pre-COVID, I was doing about three a month. I had one year, I think I did 15, 16 a year. And and now that was exhausting. Although I met a lot of people. I actually counted uh, something like five or six million people at the shows that I I went to that that one year, which which is it sounds great in retrospect, but it was a killer at the time being. But um and Pensacon was was um was one of the ones I went to for a while, but the it's something about the vibe and the the people and the staff and the way they take care of you uh, just really puts it a, a notch or two above the others. But what really, really gets all of us guests and the attendees is when you fly into the Pensacola airport and they've got the airport decked out as a Pensacola starport and they have stargates instead of the airplane gates and the, and they have a, like a reception committee when you get off and there's um, it, it just, it feels like it's not just here's a con that's this weekend. And then there'll be a, a tennis shoe convention the next weekend. Pensacola just really gets into this whole this whole thing and it it shows i mean it, the whole town feels like it's got that whole um we we love science fiction and fantasy and and kind of gives you this at home feeling and so um you know the the programming is great the the staff is great and the the show itself we just we just always enjoy it so and as speaking as a pensacola native you mentioning the rebranding of the airport i feel like when that happens it, that's when it's officially like okay, Pensacon is about to be here, because you know it was rebranded like a a couple of weeks ago, so it's you'll get to see so it again coming. once you it's once coming. you arrive. So, well, I um, mean, the, like I said, I go to a lot of these shows, and I I have never had that experience. I've never gotten off the the plane in you know, Oklahoma City, and we see something like that. It's just, I mean, the the cons are big, but this feels like it's not. It feels like Pensacola and the surrounding area is invested in it, and that I I'm just very happy to be part of it and happy to come back. And absolutely, wants his attention. There we go. <laughs> they the pets always want their attention, so and you they don't stop until you give it to them. They're persistent with that. So as we mentioned, you know, you you've written numerous books in the the science fiction realm. Uh, you've written Star Wars books, X Files. Um, you know, DC Dune, comics as well. Dune, Dune yeah. So, so what was it that made you want to be a writer and an author in the first place? Well, like way, way back when I was just a little kid, I, I grew up in a tiny town in Wisconsin, a small farming town. It was 250 people, and and like all of my neighbors were my cousins, and nobody read science fiction, nobody read comic books, and I was kind of the the odd nerd boy out. Uh, back at a time, I know your people are going to be gasping, but back at a time when science fiction wasn't cool, um, you know, the only thing on TV was Star Trek and, and the old Lost in Space. And and it just wasn't a thing that that was in pop culture. It was like weirdos did that. Uh, but I loved watching science fiction fantasy movies even before I could read. And I fell in love with the the War of the Worlds, and and I would read uh, the Creepy magazine and Eerie magazine and Doctor Strange comics and stuff, and and it just got into my bloodstream, and I wanted to tell those stories, and um, I started dabbling away on my dad's typewriter, and yes, a typewriter, but when you like pound it on keys, uh, and I just never wanted to be anything else, and so I'm 
uh, all my life I've been pushing toward it. And now I'm like doing everything I could possibly do. It's comics and, and working on computer games and lots of novels and short stories. And um, it's, it's a whole lot of work, but it's my dream job. And I get to go to conventions and kind of hang out and sign books. And, and I get to meet like, like other TV stars and stuff. And it's, it's uh, just, it's a dream come true. Coolie really is. And it, you also get to meet other, you know, like-minded people that, cause I, I can speak from experience. You know, I grew up in a small town about an hour North of Pensacola and I didn't know too many people that would read science fiction books or, you know, watch star Wars or, you know, and star Trek, the next generation was the, the big thing when I was growing up. So I, I can totally understand that. And that's, it, it shows that, you know, people can have a voice that, you know, yeah, you may not grow up knowing a ton of people that, like the same things as you but as you get older you you will find those well star wars was the first thing i can remember where science fiction was cool and all my friends saw it and and everybody i was in high school and i went to see it in the movie theater and um boy i I just people can't understand what an earth-shattering moment that was i mean we'd never sitting in the theater and it gets dark and then those the the scroll starts rolling up on an angle and we're just like wow i've never seen this before and then then the blockade runner zips past and then the star destroyer comes and it keeps coming keeps coming keeps coming and and you know it's everybody listening to this is like oh yeah i've seen that a million times well i hadn't seen it a million times this was the first time and i remember in that theater just like wow and and if somebody had told me then that you like that movie kevin well you're going to be writing star wars books in a few years it just it it would have been surreal well every star wars fan and myself included they remember their first time watching whether it's a new hope or you know if they some of the newer fans might have watched the more recent movies first but everyone remembers their first star wars experience and i i remember the same thing watching it you on vhs in the early 90s and it was on a smaller screen, but I still just remember being like my breath was taken away when that happened. And every Star Wars fan remembers that moment where they were hooked. Well, and I I finally got around my wife and I sort of made a list of, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of movies that we really should watch. And we we watched Citizen Kane, which is supposedly this great masterpiece and and we watched it was it was fine but we went, I don't get why this is so earth shaking well uh, the stuff that was done in that movie had never been done before and we're watching it now it's like well it's been imitated a million times so uh star wars is kind of like that in a in a seminal fashion that um and, and of course it was star wars star wars awakened in all of the non nerds oh yeah this is a cool story and uh i think the the greatest subtlest thing that George Lucas did was he made the the great unwashed public understand what us science fiction nerds really thought was cool about the genre that that when they saw Star Wars they went oh now I get it and and that is something that that can't be measured and and can't be um uh minimized absolutely you mentioned you know not knowing then that oh and you know years from now you'd be writing star wars books what was your reaction when you got to write your first star wars book growing up as a fan well and the funny thing was 
when I got asked, I had published me like four or five of original just solo books of my own. Uh, and there was a monthly Star Trek book line that every month there's another Star Trek book out and it was just a, it was classic Trek and it was the um, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and the planet of the month. And I read those and I, I kind of had this fanboy dream as a writer that maybe someday I could write a Star Trek book. And there wasn't anything for Star Wars. And I was asked in like 1992 or something like that. So it was, I'm remembering right return of the jedi was 84 or 85 something like that and after that was over there there was nothing there there were no other star wars anything and this was like six seven eight years after that and i i think like timothy zahn might have come out with his first one yeah i think he had but when i was when i was uh, asked but there we didn't know there was a star wars line and tim's book was sort of like oh it's a random star wars book and that was just the cracking open of the floodgates. And and I, I think it surprised the publisher and everybody that there was such a raving Star Wars fandom out there that really wanted more. And when I got when I got asked to write some Star Wars books, I I of course I said yes, like immediately. And then I immediately went into my um my research mode, which meant watching the movies over and over again, buying my action figures and playing with them. And um, I, I bought a model of the Millennium Falcon that I put together so that I would kind of have a feel for all the, how the ship uh, worked and, and, you know, everything. And, and then I was, I was on like a ski slope that had just started going down that uh, of course I'm talking to Pensacola. I'm not sure that ski slopes are something you guys are familiar with too terribly much, but, <laughs> um, but I was like picking up speed and I wrote the, Jedi Academy trilogy, and then I wrote some uh, Tales of the Jedi comics, and I edited the Star Wars Tales anthologies, and then I did Darksaber, and then I did the Young Jedi Knight series with my wife, and then I did some pop-up books, and it was just Star Wars, and it, it, I I just loved it. And I was going up to Skywalker Ranch. I lived within driving distance, and so I was um, going up, I, I met George Lucas. I was up in the Lucasfilm art archives and just spent a lot of time there. And it became this huge part of my life. And then I kind of branched out and I did X-Files. I did Batman and Superman. And I wrote for Marvel and I wrote a bunch of other comics. And then um, I got connected with Brian Herbert, Frank Herbert's son. And, and he and I, I mean, that's kind of my huge main focus now writing dune novels and and uh we work together on all kinds of projects and and i have a million of my own projects so i've just this is this is my dream career the way it's going when you mentioned superman and that that's actually an excellent segue into a specific book that i wanted to ask you about which is uh the last days of krypton which i bought i believe it was at pensacon 2015 it was one of the early pensacons that you were at and Superman has always been that character to me that like I find his story interesting, but it's it can be difficult to tell tell his story in an interesting way because he's like he can't be hurt unless you have kryptonite. So you you wrote about it's a prequel about the last days of Krypton before it's destroyed. And what I liked what you did with the book is you made a lot of little things make sense. Like one of the questions I had whenever- A lot of them didn't make sense before that. Right. It's like, why did Kal-El, why was he the only survivor? Like, where were the spaceships? And you mm -hmm. explain that. 
So talk to me about the the process that you went through to write that book. Well, I had it was one of those like like thunderstruck ideas that is sort of walking along. And then I I was thinking of the last days of Pompeii, which is sort of like the classic, the the people in their normal lives in this glorious city of Pompeii. And then Vesuvius erupts and destroys all of them. And I thought, well, why don't we do that with with Krypton? And then I started thinking, well, we know Jarrell invented the Phantom Zone and and we know um, about General Zod and we know about Brainiac stealing the city of Kandor. And all of this is a bunch of cool things. And and uh, Jorel's brother Zorel was on the Argo City that he domed over so that it survived the explosion of Krypton. And that's where Supergirl comes from. And and, you know, I read all these comics. I grew up with all this stuff. So I know all these stories. And then I just started thinking of, well, but that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense, and and you know things like if if Jor-El is the smartest uh, scientist in twenty three galaxies, and he's building a spaceship, why does he build a spaceship that's only big enough to hold a baby? Why not just build a bigger one so that mom and dad of the kid can go along? And 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 why if it's the most advanced planet, why is there only one spaceship on the whole planet? And and um, and then I was, I love the whole General Zod uprising thing. And then I started thinking, um, I mean, they set up in the, in the mythos that Brainiac comes and steals the capital city of Kandor, shrinks it down and puts it under a dome and then flies off with it. Well, just imagine if some alien came and, and, and just stole Washington DC and shrank it down and went away. Well, some people would say good riddance, but but um, but just imagine what that would do to a a peaceful utopia society if suddenly your 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 government is decapitated. Well, that opens it right up for a tyrant like General Zod to come in and take over Krypton, and and I mean, just I tied all these things together, and so here's the. The ironic thing is I had done a little bit of work for DC Comics. Oh, Nicholas had it with this interview, I think. <laughs> there he goes. Probably going to go. He's on. more of a Batman fan. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry, Nico. Um, and the thing was, is I had done a little bit of work for DC Comics, but at the time, the, the vice president of DC was a huge Dune fan. And I would just send him a signed copy of whatever Dune books that we came up with. And we we would meet at San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con. So I I knew him well enough. And um, <laughs> and when I got this idea for Last Days of Krypton, I, I went right to the top. I said, hey, I've got the coolest idea ever that we should do. I wanted to do comics. And and he said, that is the coolest idea I've ever heard. Let's do a big book for, for it. And that's how we wrote Last Days of Krypton, and boy, did I have fun researching all. Basically, it's my challenge to retcon all of this stuff because so much of the Superman mythos just that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense. Uh, but I, at least most of it, I hope I made it make sense. No, you absolutely did. And as you know, I was reading through it again because it had been years since I've read it. I was thinking, you know, because there there have been there's the new, uh, well, I'll say new, but the Superman and Lois show that's still on CW. Which, which I kind of gave up on it, but I I loved the first year or so. It, it like so many of them that they they're great, and then it's like okay, we're we're stretching it a little bit too much, but 
but I did I did enjoy the setup, and I will I will rattle everybody. I despised the Man of Steel movie. I thought that did not understand Superman at all, at all. Period. And I could talk the rest of the podcast about it, but but let's not. We have other things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see what they do with you know James Gunn rebooting it and everything. So we'll we'll see what they do with it. But I, I was actually thinking your book would make for a very good movie or a series that would well you know make... see that's the that's the other thing is that I had written the last days of krypton and I explained all of this stuff and it was canon because DC bought it and they approved it and they put it in there and then I heard they were making man of steel where they're redoing and Russell Crowe was going to be Jor-El and I thought well since it's canon maybe they'd at least read my book before they made the movie and now they made up some entirely different thing that doesn't make nearly as much sense but oh well that's i would i would love to see it but there was that krypton tv show that that it was krypton 90210 i think but um i i didn't stick with that either so yeah i i tried but it it just never really grabbed me personally well, it's like that they didn't they didn't understand the potential they had and the well, I mean, uh, not just touting my book, but my book has got lots of cool stuff in Krypton. It's the last days of Pompeii. That's a great story. And what they did in the Krypton show was kind of a head scratcher how they went in that direction. But yeah, but, you know, it, it's anything that gets on TV. And I, I know how hard it is to get something on TV. I mean, kudos for for trying something at least. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned working in both uh, comics and in you're writing novels what's how is it compared the two like how, how is it working in the comic world as a compared to the novel world well I, i'm first and foremost a novelist i mean that's what i've done the most of and that's what i like to do and it sort of gives me the room to write the story the way i want to and i can spend as much time as i want describing things and as much room um but i have been a comic fan since forever and so when uh, I, my very first comics were the Tales of the Jedi, uh, Dark Lords of the Sith series that I wrote with Tom Veach, who taught me how to write comics. And Star Wars was just so visually jam-packed with ideas that it it was you know tailor-made for um, for comics. And so we did this whole epic series of of Star Wars, which was like four thousand years before the movie. So it was almost like a King Arthur and the Knights, the round table version of Star Wars. And we just love doing that. And that that series was great because you can do, um, you know, the old cliche of pictures worth a thousand words. So I can not write a thousand words. We can just do a big picture of the temples and the jungles and things. And I, I think that there are some stories that work really well in comics. But in my my writing itself my writing style is very like colorful and visual it's not like super artsy fartsy literary it's it's like big action going on all the time so my stories are pretty well designed for comics and in fact what we've been doing in fact in a week or so i'm starting issue 11 out of 12 where we're adapting our first dune prequel trilogy to comics and those uh, House of Trades came out um, a year or two, a year and a half ago. Uh, it's from Boom Studios. And they did 12 issues of House of Trades. And now we're doing 12 issues of House Harkin. And like I said, I'm about to do number 11. So we're, we're wrapping that up. And those are those are 
big stories with lots of great visuals and it's good to do it uh, the house of trades won the dragon award for for best comic graphic novels so that's uh, they're liking that and uh in a similar sense uh brian herbert and i did uh, and i've been pushing for this for a long time we did the the definitive scene by scene adaptation of frank herbert's dune into a graphic novel form and that uh, abrams books published it and that was a new york times bestseller and won a bunch of awards and was just named the one of the top 100 graphic novels of all time so it, it might have been my cousin bill's list but who knows what the list was but um it but was that, on the list though yeah uh, i mean you just say it, it, it's a bestseller well it could be a bestseller in, in my small town that has a bookstore with three books on it but you know it's Anyway, I don't want to digress. I love that that novel, and it's uh, it's scene by scene the way Frank Herbert wrote the book, and doing such a deep dive, such an X ray in Frank's uh, novel, which I, I've read I think twenty six times or something like that, and I keep studying it, keep really analyzing it, but doing writing the script to convert Frank's novel into comics really emphasized to me how hard it is to make that into a film because there's so much internal dialogue and so much static stuff. And, and, uh, you know, the first 50 pages or so, the only thing that happens is Paul puts his hand in a box. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of action that goes on. And so it's really hard to do that visually, but, um, but I mean, it was a challenge and that's what we did in the, the graphic novel. And I'm, I'm assuming that anybody who bought Dune, the graphic novel, wasn't looking for people in spandex slugging it out a, a bank robbery or something. So uh, they had had the patience for it and we had the room to do it. Um, and so I, I like writing comic scripts a lot. It's a little weird to adapt my 600 page novel into a 12, 22 page comic issues. And there are times that I just want to scream and say, give me 10 more pages so I can do this. And But but you can't because a comic is 22 pages. You're locked into that. The, the monthly, the, the flippy comic books are 22 pages. And it's not just 22 pages. There's actually a, a left side of the page and a right side of the page. So if you're doing a two-page spread, you can't have it over page one and page two because that's where the flip of the page is. And so there are a lot of constraints in comics but there's a lot of freedom too and if you're working with a good artistic team which which i have uh it just comes out like a like a concert instead of a solo performance yeah absolutely and i imagine the relationship with with the artist is important but and to have that coexisting view to to make the process go much smoother because they, they're they're so important to each other yeah, and I really try to collaborate with them rather than saying, here's my script, don't change a word, don't change a panel. Um, in fact, a lot of times I, I like to lean on the artist that if if I do have a scene where it's a you know three-page lightsaber battle and it's just all action, instead of me saying panel one, this happens, panel two, this happens, panel three, I, I can often just say, this is a balls out furious lightsaber battle and you got three pages just make sure that this guy dies at the end and let them go with it and they they like that because then they can they can do whatever they want and and most comic artists aren't 
um, it, it's not like they're they're doing an assembly line thing. They don't want to be told exactly what to do each time. They want to have their artistic freedom. And I think that's what generates the, the best comics. Absolutely. So as we start to wrap up here, I, I do have to ask as a Star Wars fan, when Disney bought the rights to Star Wars and they said that all these books that came before aren't canon, how did you and the other authors react to that? Well, they're they were turned they were they become legendary now. So they're yeah, they're yeah, you're leader. that's why you're a legendary author. <laughs> uh well, uh boy, I, I was not expecting the huge fan backlash to that. I mean, I I kind of went, oh well, I suppose they're gonna do that. Because when when um JJ Abrams was gonna do The Force Awakens. I don't think you can walk up to a big movie director and say, you're going to do the next Star Wars movie, hooray, but you also have to read these 300 books and don't contradict anything in them. So, I mean, fair I, point. Sort of, I, I sort of never imagined that they were going to do that. It might have been cool if they had taken my trilogy or Tim's trilogy or something and used that. Um, but I, again, being a comics fan, Look how many times they've rebooted Batman on the th films. And this was sort of a Star Wars reboot. And I thought, well, I guess they're going to take and, and pick what they wanted. But boy, the, the fans just like, it's like they were my knights in shining armor. They they took up the cause. And and it, it, let's let's be honest, Lucasfilm could have maybe handled that a little bit more um, more delicately that that you know we respect that these other things and we're just going to put them on earth too and you can keep reading them and we're going to do a different version but now they kind of stomped on things which they it's it's changed a little bit now but um but they still exist like you said they're they're reissued their legends and you know they're again with the comics there's there's classic batman and then there's various versions of batman and everything and i i can enjoy it and and go in there I'm just glad that they kept my books around, even if it's got the Legends banner on it, because they could well have just said, well, we're not doing these anymore and let them go out of print and nobody could read them. So I'm. it's now 2023. So we're 30 years since my first Star Wars book was published and, and they're still around. So I'm, 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 when I see people who name their kids after characters in my Star Wars books, and those kids are now in high school. That's that's a little creepy, but that that that's got to feel like a tremendous well, it's honor. Cool, though. but it but it's like it's like it's hard for me to get my head around it. But. Right? Yeah. No. No. I I totally get that. Um, where can people find you? Um, or, or your website or social media so the viewers and listeners can follow you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to be at Pensacon, so if you can manage to get there, I'll be I'll be. It's called the Bard's Tower. It's a big a big uh, exhibit that's got a bunch of authors at it. Um, if you can't make it to Pensacon and still want to pick up some of my books, like The Last Days of Krypton, or some, and they're all autographed. Yeah, I have a online store called Wordfire Shop, like word like words on fire. Wordfireshop.com, and I've got tons of my my signed books there. Um, I'm on Twitter with the word the and my initials. So it's the KJA. Um, Facebook, just look for official Kevin J. Anderson page and you'll find it. Um, it I'm just rattling off. I'm all over social media, which is why I don't get as much writing done as I should, I think. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty easily findable if you wanted to uh, follow some of my stuff or, or get in touch. And 
And again, I, I, I have lots of work projects that I'm, that I'm in the middle of, but uh, now that I, I'm finally getting back into touring some conventions, I have half a dozen this year so I can get out there and, and see the fans face to face again and get pictures and autographs and stuff. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat and look forward to seeing you at Pensacon. Well, I look forward to it and I, I look forward to the show and um, come see me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again to Kevin J. Anderson for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to chat with me about his career and his upcoming appearance at Pensacon, which, of course, is this upcoming weekend, February 24th through the 26th at the Pensacola Bay Center and all throughout downtown Pensacola. And speaking of that, uh, it is the return of the Defending Bad Movies panel, the one that I've hosted in years past and recorded for this podcast. It will be making its return. The panel will be Saturday, February 25th at 1.30 p.m. at the right place in room number four. It's just a short walk from the base Center. So if you're hanging out with some of the celebrities, getting autographs, getting your photos, you can head over to the, to the right place and listen to uh, Jason, Wally, and hopefully Julio uh, defend bad movies that I will draw out of a hat. If you cannot make it, we will be recording the panel, and it will air for next week's podcast. So you won't have to wait very long to hear it. Both the audio and the video versions will be available uh, on the Derek Diamond Experience feed. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show. Uh, just head over to linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. It's where you can find uh, where you can subscribe to the podcast, link to the YouTube channel, social media. Everything is in one location, linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. And I believe that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Kevin J. Anderson. Hope to see you all at Pensacon. I'll also be moderating some panels as well, um, in addition to Defending Bad Movies and Nerd Cave Retro. So I'll be out through the entire weekend. If you run into me, just stop and say hi. Be happy to chat with you. And we'll see you guys back here next Monday for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. <laughs>